Good morning, Northwest. Welcome to Second Service. And of course, always a special welcome to you if you're broadcasting online. Um, <clears throat> if this is your first time with us or if it's your first time broadcasting with us, uh, a super extra special welcome to you. We love having new people, seeing new people, etc. If I sound funny, don't adjust your speakers. It's just the way I am. Um, <clears throat> we are going to be continuing on with our series this morning with Church Builders. And uh, this is our uh, second week of the series, and in fact, I'm really excited about even next month as well, because we're going to be talking about what are the factors that make a church, what's the, what's the marks of a church that identifies a church as a church. But this month, we're talking about building a church, and of course, as many of you know, that we are... Um, are we being attacked right now? If you're on... <laughs> There's like 20 helicopters above us right now. <laughs> It's not the second coming. We're all good because <clears throat> we're here. So it can't be a second coming or wait a second. Um, and uh, so we are, are, are just going to be talking about uh, building a church and what it takes to build a church. But before we do that, I want to talk about uh, someone in our church, um, kind of church news. And it was, it's, you may know this, this guy, uh, Brian. Many of you know Brian, Brian Sisk. Um, <clears throat> he died last week believe it or not. And this is him in the middle of his ministry of buying up old Bibles that people throw away to goodwill and then giving them away to other people. And he used to write a special note in the Bible and then he would give it away to other people. That was his ministry. And uh, I have to say that uh, he, he was skiing and had a heart attack while skiing. So crazy stuff. Uh, seems like crazy stuff, but there's a huge difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, and that is Christians react differently when something like this happens because they see this as a promotion beyond first class, you know? It's like getting an upgrade on the plane. It's like going beyond that. Now, I'll be honest, I'd rather, instead of being sick in bed for years and then dying, I'd rather be skiing on a mountain of glory and go out that way. I mean, that's just amazing. But many of you knew him, and uh, I know that uh, the Dunbars pastored him and mentored him for years. And so uh, <clears throat> there's one thing that we don't get over quickly, and that is missing a good friend. But we know this as Christians, we are going to see him one day and we'll have this, we'll be having a party together. Amen. He will be having, or I'm sorry, his family will be having a, um, uh, a celebration, uh, a memorial for him in a popcorn. I believe you're going, Dave, you'll post that on Facebook so that people get the details of that. Uh, that'll be good. So, Father, we want to thank you for our brother. We want to pray for his family. We want to pray that every seed that he planted before he left will come to fruitfulness, Father, because that will be the glory that will be the crown on his head in heaven. And Father, as our brothers and sisters have already departed, are welcoming, welcoming him now and are already starting the feast with him right now, I pray, Father, that the same joy that is now coming alive within him would start to manifest itself in us as well, Father, as we continue on the work uh, to, to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Today we want to talk about, uh, we want to uh, continue on reading in Joshua. And the reason why I've been studying Joshua for so long is because Joshua was the one who had to take the people of God into the promised land to inherit the promises that God had promised to them years before. 
And because we are now, we are now embracing a vision that we feel God has given us to go and find a new building and to have more resources, we see that there is a journey that we have to take to get to that place. And we can see as we read in the scripture, uh, the journey that Joshua uh, and the Israelites took in order to go take hold of what God had told them to take hold of. So I'm going to be reading a few scriptures today. And um, I'm going to start in Joshua chapter 5. And it says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Now, when I see the word again, I ask, how much can there be? So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Heraloth, which literally means hill of circumcisions. You know a guy must have come up with that name because a woman would have put this in a completely different way and said, let's call it season of winter, right? You're going through a difficult time right now and let's call that season of winter. But no, some guy must have named that Gibeath Heraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt, they had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, ancestors being those that went before him, uh, which was a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day, which means rolled away. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, which was unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. Thanks be to God for his word. I have to say that this is now my first official teaching on circumcision, right? And it's not something I ever dreamed of or thought of ever teaching on before, but this is the next step that I see that I think that God is speaking to us on. I want to show you a quick map, if you don't mind. I'm going to show you a map of the, the, the some a little bit uh, of a reflection of some of the stuff we have been talking about pr- uh, previously. Uh, when they were in Egypt as slaves, they were in the land of not enough. And then when they were taken out of slavery into the wilderness, they were in the land of just enough because God gave them just enough every day that through manna. And then they moved into the land of more than enough when they crossed the Jordan River. When they were in the wilderness, 
That's where they were uh, learning about God, how to live with each other and how to work with God. And then they crossed over the Jordan River to go take hold of the promised land, the land of more than enough. And they had to conquer it. They had to take on these different cities. And, and of course, there's only two cities that were really given a lot of space in the book of Joshua, and that's Jericho and Ai. And Jericho, is the, it still exists there today. It's a very old city, and it's a tell, which basically means it's a city that was built on a city. It was built on a city. It was built on a city. So it's like a, a, a collection of ruins on top of each other. It still exists there, and it's, it still exists there today. And in fact, um, archaeologists say that it's the oldest existing city in history, and it's still there today, and people still live there. This is the city that the Israelites had to take on first. Now, they get to a place in this place where uh, they're about to go and take on this city, and God goes, wait, 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 wait a second, hold on. I want you guys to get circumcised before you take on that city. Now, if God had consulted me, I would have, been, I would have given him better advice, which was circumcise them on the other side of the river, not two kilometers outside of the building, uh, outside of the city you're about to take, right? I mean, the last thing you want to do is before you're about to get into battle and conquer the city is to cripple yourself, right? You can imagine them going, okay, guys, so let's get the plan together. How are we going to take on uh, Jericho? I don't know, but uh, how about we stay here for a few minutes? Yeah, let's, um, yeah, oh, we should do that. Yes, let's schedule this a bit, about six months down the line. Let's do that, okay? Woo, how are you feeling? Uh, no, top of the morning to you, top of the morning to you, right? So... You know, when you're in fighting age and you've just been circumcised, the last thing you want to do is go take on a battle that God wants to put in front of you. But isn't this the way that God operates? He does things outside of what we would imagine, right? And yet, and yet this is what God did. So I started asking myself the question, why would he do it this way? Well, I can see that when they were in the wilderness, they were in the season of legislation, but when they crossed over the Jordan was when they're in the season of application, and I wonder if sometimes what we do is we expect and desire God to change us when times are comfortable, when everything's good and dandy, right? But that's not the way that God operates. Because in order to make a true and lasting change, He wants to make sure that we're in the season of application where you're under the gun and you can't run away from the situation, right? He doesn't wait until everything's really well. You've had your quiet time and you've Instagrammed your, your, your scripture of the day and everything's just special and wonderful. And God says, I want you to change today and everything feels good, right? What he does is he puts you in a crappy, junky situation where danger is all around you. You don't know what to do. And then God goes, eh, I want to cut something off in your life right now. And you're like, okay, anything, just get it done. Let's move on, right? That's what we do. That's how, that's how God operates. He always puts us in the position of pressure in order to change us. That's the way God works. So today, I want to ask then, what was the purpose of God circumcising them from before they went into the battle? And there are five reasons that I personally come up with of what circumcision is all about. Now, in my country, we don't celebrate circumcision, and in America, you do, right? So this is a whole new world to me. And so I'm looking at this whole thing of circumcision. So I want to suggest five different things today. And the first one is this, that circumcision was a covenant. 
Now, let's quickly go back quite a few hundred years, hundreds and hundreds of years, back to this guy called Abraham. And if you know anything about your Bible, you know that Abraham was the man that God chose to say, with you, I shall make my covenant, and I'm going to make a holy nation from therefore. So let's quickly read this. God said to him, Abraham, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, Canaan was the promised land. That's the name of the land originally before God decided to call that the promised land. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep is this. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me, or me and you. So what is it? Well, simply circumcision was the sign of covenant is what God said. Why did he choose that that way? Well, I could give you many reasons. I'm not entirely sure, but the best reason I can think of is simply because all generations will come through that way. So God wanted to put himself in the position of saying, remember, before you birth future generations, remember my way. Remember what my purpose is. Remember what my goal is, which is to make holy nation, to make holy people. And according to Galatians chapter 3, through Jesus Christ, we as Christians now inherit this covenant. So we are now the result of people who have followed God's ways, hopefully, Hopefully your parents are people who have followed God's ways. If your children are existing today or they're in your mind and in your heart, you have to follow God's ways in order to pass on to them the things of God. So this is why I believe that that circumcision exists. Let's go to number two, which is circumcision cuts off old habits. Circumcision cuts off old habits. And it says in verse 9 of Joshua 5, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now, Egypt was basically where their parents were slaves. Their parents were under slavery in Egypt. This place called Egypt was actually uh, uh, occupied by Egyptians who put them under slavery. And the Egyptians, according to the Bible, and it says it five different places, Egypt is the land of Ham. Now, Here's what I'm going to do right now. So I, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to do some like theological excavation. Think of, me, think of me as an archaeologist right now. And I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. And if you get lost, just come up for air. Wait for me at the end of this point, And then I will come up and we'll, we'll come back together on this, right? Because cause, cause I feel like I'll have to take a time to look at what this is about. What is the point of this? We all know the story of Noah. You probably saw the, uh, the, the play that we did at Christmas time with Noah. 
And when Noah was trusted to actually uh, to carry the, the animals and his family over to, um, you know, past the flood, uh, God wiped out the earth because there was so much horrific sin that existed in the earth. And when he started, when, he, when they got to dry land and the flood dissipated, they were meant to go off and make holy nations again. And so what happened was one day Noah planted a vineyard and the vineyard grew up and he took the berries and he, and he, and he, he crushed them down, he fermented them and he made them into alcohol and he got drunk as a skunk. Now, I don't have much commentary on drunkenness right now, but when he got drunk as a skunk, he was in his, his tent and he was completely naked. And when he was naked, his son Ham came into the tent and looked upon him. Now, you might look at that and just go, well, that's no big deal. But in those days, it was a big deal because it says that he looked scornfully on him and mocked him and then went to his brothers and said, you should go and check dad out. He is a sight to be seen. Now, in those days, nakedness was really quite a shameful thing. In fact, if you go to the Middle East today, you'll see how people are dressed from head to toe and they cover every piece of their skin. And regardless of what you think about that, it's, it's a lot to do with the fact that there's a thinking in, in those days where it was shameful to show any type of skin, right? And so Ham, when Noah woke up and found out what Ham did, Ham, uh, uh, God said to Ham, uh, sorry, ah, 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 where am I? Um, Noah said to his son Ham, whatever's in you is in your son, and your son is going to have a curse that is 10 times worse than you because you began it, right? Who was his son? His son was Canaan. So Noah had a son called Ham, and Ham had a son called Canaan. Ham was the one who created the nation of Egypt. Canaan was the one who created the nation of the Canaanites. Now, we know a lot about the Egyptians, but we also know a lot about the Canaanites. And the Canaanites, through archaeology, have been discovered to be some of the most sexually deviant people that had ever existed in history. Archaeology has proven this. In fact, one of the offshoots of the Canaanites were the Phoenicians, and it says that the Romans, when they conquered the Phoenicians, were shocked at how sexually deviant the Phoenicians were. Now, if the Romans, which were pretty horrific people, were that shocked at the Phoenicians, how bad were they, right? So this is, this, is, this is kind of me painting a picture of where we're at. Egypt figuratively means stronghold or bondage of shame, which is why I believe that God wants to cut out things from us because I believe that shame is the product of this fear. Shame always comes from what we've found, what I found in counseling is that there's two things that hold people back, I believe it comes from the Garden of Eden, is pride and rejection. But what I found is this, if I can't get a person past the shame of what they have come under, what they have experienced, or what they've come from, they will not stay on the path of faith. They will not stay in relationship with me. They will not go through the process of change if they can't get past shame, which I completely understand. Where does the shame come from? Well, <clears throat> there's another word that is used there, and it says, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Reproach basically means contumely or pudenda. These are not words you probably use in the English language that often. But contumely means insulting language or humiliating treatment. Pudenda is a very forceful word. It basically says to, the shameful, to be shamefully screwed over. It means to be used in such a way that you have been 
shamed and humiliated to the nth degree. God was saying this, you have been so shamed and humiliated, I have to cut that off because if you don't get it cut off, when you take on the greater things that I want to give to you, that's the thing that the, God, the enemy will shine a light on and he will point at it and pull it out and now you'll be under shame and you will back away from the responsibility of the things that I want to give to you. God wants to cut off shame within us because it is the very thing that we might be able to hide today but will actually be pointed out by the enemy in future days. You follow me so far? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is about cutting out things that are old habits within us. It's about moving away from this type of shame. It's moving away from these types of habits. You see, I believe that it took, it, it might have taken a few days for the Israelites to, to leave Egypt, but it took 40 years for Egypt to leave them. It took a long time for Egypt to get out of them. Now, many of us have maybe uh, 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 wrestled with something in our lives, and we get discouraged because we're constantly trying to get rid of, uh, rid of these old things in our lives. But the reason why you have to battle that and have to cut it off is because you will pass it on to your children if you don't deal with it yourself right now. And the things that I've come across in life is we've seen a lot of things where sometimes I believe that God tries to cut out things inside of us and they manifest in different ways. Like if you have got a real issue with poverty in your life, it can swing your pendulum to one of either sides. Maybe you become a super spender where you're constantly spending your money. You're constantly trying to get new things and new toys because you're trying to cover over that inadequacy of poverty within you. Or maybe you're so frugal and miserly you don't spend a dime because you're constantly worried about bills and we can't spend this and we can't spend that. And really what you're doing is you're manifesting the fruits that comes from the fear of poverty. And fear is a huge thing within people. Fear always manifests control. And whenever you have a fear within you, you'll, you, will, you will do things, you'll set your life up in such a way that you won't allow yourself to go into re in certain relationships. You won't allow yourself to open up your heart to other people. You won't allow yourself to, to, to allow many things to come forth in your life simply because you can't trust people, simply because you're in fear. And one of the ways that sometimes people do uh, uh, to protect themselves from fear is they'll cut themselves from, off from other people. Or what they'll do is they'll manifest anger when they're frustrated, they'll get super angry and to try and take control of things. But the fact is, God's trying to remove our controls to get to that root of fear. And I believe what's happening here with the circumcision is that God is trying to root out things because he's trying to root out Egypt from us. Hello. Let's go to the fourth one. God prunes in his own house first. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. <clears throat> if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's to, to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. It's basically saying this, we should not be surprised if we get cut by God because the same sword that he fights on our behalf with is the same sword that he will always cut at us first. Same sword. Oftentimes we want a benevolent father that is only good and wonderful and loving and forges and fights on our behalf, but we don't want him to come into our lives and fight, on our and fight inside of us against us, against that shame inside of us, against that flesh that is in our hearts. It's oftentimes where we really want a benevolent father that will take care of all things, but the fact is, he is a good enough God to say, in order to have the things that I want to give to you, I need to cut off some flesh within you. I was looking at the word that he used here in Joshua 5, 2, and it says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Now, I looked at this and I was wondering, why did he say to make flint knives? Why not, hey, use the swords that you've got, that nice, shiny, polished, sharpened sword. I want you to use that sword and to circumcise yourself. No, he said, go find some stones that are called flint and sharpen the edge of them and use those stones in order to circumcise yourself. And I was a little confused with this until I felt God showed how he did it to me. You see, I think that sometimes what we want to do is we want to use our own swords to cut out the bad things that are in our lives. We want to use our own power, our own control in order to deal with the things in our lives. And if we had it our own way, I would have done it in the land of comfort. I would have done it in the land of just enough where I was protected and everything was safe. But God chose to do it right on the, the precipice, right on the eve of battle, right on the, the point where he's about to move them into something greater, where things were going to become a challenge in front of them. That at this point, he says, I want you to be circumcised, but not by your own way, but by my way. And the more I looked at this, the more I realized that God used an imperfect implement to circumcise them, which is exactly what he has done in my life. He has used people like my spouse, like my pastor, like my boss to circumcise the things in my life, being an imperfect tool in my life to cut off the things that God wants to cut off inside of me. You see, oftentimes we don't like what we're being told to do. We don't like the fact that we're being challenged. We don't like the way that God has used my, my, uh, the, the, the person that I love in my life. We don't like the way they talk. We don't tell me what to do, and we react against them. But 15 years ago, Mark and I had this very moment where we were kind of butting heads and we were clashing up against each other. And I just got to a point of saying, you know what, I don't need this. I'm going to go back to Scotland. In fact, I remember sitting down with Martin Crystal, and I said, Crystal and I are going to go back to Scotland and we're going to think about, we're going to be there for a vacation, we're going to think about whether we should come back to America and where does God want us to be? And they said, okay. And I really wanted to just leave. I wanted to go back there. But at least I know my parents taught me well enough to say, you need to make sure you know what God wants you to do before you go make any decisions. So I went over there. I remember going up in the mountains and I spent some time with God by myself in the mountains and 
And I asked God, what do you want me to do? What's the next step? What's the next path? Where do you want me to go? And I knew that God spoke to me clearly. And he said, go back and tell Mark he's your father now. That was difficult for me because I didn't really want that. I don't want to go down that path. You see, I didn't agree with Mark. I didn't like the way he did things. He wasn't a perfect tool. He wasn't someone who was doing things right according to the way I think it should have been done. But according to what God wanted to do, he wasn't looking to sharpen me. He was looking to circumcise me. And he will always use the imperfect tools and relationships around you to circumcise your heart. Hello. One amen. Thank you, brother. So oftentimes what we try and do is escape the relationships around us because they're not comfortable, because we don't agree with the way that they're doing things. When the fact is, wherever God has placed you, you have to see his fatherhood through that person, through your relationship with your wife, your husband, or your boss. God will always use imperfect tools to circumcise us. Number five, through circumcision, God changes our walk. Joshua 5 it says, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. God made them one because he changed them all at the same time. And at the same time, he healed them. How did they become one? Because I believe they learned how to walk in love for each other. In John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is our job but to tell other people about Christ, to let other people know that's our battle, that's our conquest, that is our future, is to bring the, the kingdom of heaven here on earth as it is in heaven and allow other people to see how good God is. And in order to have that power and that authority, something has to manifest amongst us together in order for that to come about. Because I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. That's not the way that God will conquer the things that are in front of us. He will make us come together as one through love so that we can now become powerful in his hand to conquer the things that he is calling us to do. Thanks be to God. Wow, I love that. In Romans chapter two, verse 29, it says this, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We're circumcision of the heart now because I don't have to go through that stuff, right? <laughs> circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit. What is it that we want? I'll tell you what I want. I need to do the things that God has called me to do and I need to pass this on to my kids and I can't afford to pass old habits on to them. I can't afford to make them repeat my mistakes. I can't afford to put my old shame upon them. So if God has to spend the rest of my life circumcising those things upon my, in my life off of me, then so be it because I can't afford for my children to be wrestling the same demons that I have wrestled. Hello. You have to decide that you're going to lay still and allow God to circumcise you. You've got to decide what is it that you're called to be or called to do. If you don't want to do the things of God and you don't want to go and conquer the, the future, then go back to the land of just enough. You'll survive there and still get into heaven. That's not where I want to be. 
That's not what I want to do. I don't want to live a life of just enough. I want to live a life of more than enough. But I have to be made ready to have that life of more than enough. If I want to partake of the great things that God wants to give to me, I have to be changed. I must be circumcised. Allow yourself to be circumcised. Allow yourself to be cut by your Father. Because it's your Father that disciplines you because He loves you. Father, I pray right now that you would allow your spirit to come in our hearts right here and right now. And like a big spotlight, flash on us the place where, not the stuff that you need to cut out, but flash on us the places where we have struggled and wrestled. We have not lain still. We have not been still and allow you to be God. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for fighting against you. And the fact is, you're not just trying to crush us down, but you're trying to ready us for the greater things that you have for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see where we need to allow you to use imperfect tools and implements in our lives, and that we will not be upset or confused by the way that you do things. And just as First Peter said, that we will suffer according to your will, and we will commit ourselves to you as our faithful creator. That if you have chosen to allow something to exist in my life, if you have chosen to allow a problem, an issue, a challenge, an upset, if you've allowed that to exist in my life, you allowed it to exist in my life. You haven't taken it away. You have not removed it. Father, you have kept it there for a reason. And Lord, I do not want to come out the other side of this uncircumcised and think that I will be able to take on what you're calling me to. God, I pray that you would make us one, make us lovers of each other, that when we look at each other, we see you in each other. We see the love of your presence in each other. Manifest it in us first, we ask. We ask this, oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Forgive us, Father, if we've taken for granted your ways in our church. Forgive us, Father, for acting with old Egyptian ways, with old wilderness ways. Forgive us, Father, for acting in a way that worked before but doesn't work anymore. Lord, we want to learn your new ways. We want to learn your new habits. Show us, God, how you want to change us from the inside to the outside. We ask this in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Have a great day.